We are in our second week of, a, of this origin series, and I know it sounds a little bit like history at the very beginning of the message, but last week we talked about in the period uh, between 600 AD to roughly 600, 1600 AD, um, what was kind of going on in the church, and I know it's a lot of history to cover in two messages, but we're kind of summing up is that there was two different crowds during those days. There were those who wanted to follow the Lord and didn't want to be a part of their society, so they withdrew into monasteries. Think of monks and nuns. And that's who we talked about last week, right? Monks and nuns. And then we saw the other group of people during this period of history who tried to force their beliefs on people. And this is what we are calling the Crusades. And if any of you are or fans a little bit of uh, history, uh, the medieval times where you see the knights and, 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 and the ones that went back to the Holy Land. And, and I'm, where did the Crusades come from? Initially, it all centered around Jerusalem. Um, around 400 AD, the Muslim uh, religion is starting to really get foothold into the world. And, and, and during this time, um, they had conquered Jerusalem. It was considered one of their holy cities. But if you really want to know where Islam gets started, it doesn't come into existence until about the 6th or 7th century. So around 600 AD, um, Christianity has been on the scene for almost 600 years by this point. And so in this area, they came and they conquered Jerusalem. And what was going on in Europe during this time is that they were not happy that they couldn't go back and visit the Holy Lands because a lot of times even when they were traveling to, through to Jerusalem or any places like that, if they wanted to visit, they were being robbed and murdered. And so the kings decided that we should go and reconquer the lands. Now, supposedly between, uh, give you the dates of this. In fact, you got the picture of, a, uh, of one of the crusaders during the day. I don't know if you guys ever seen anything that looks like this, but this was uh, one of the pictures and descriptions of those who went and, and did the crusades. And like anything else, um, it started with decent intentions because again, the Islam and the Muslims took Jerusalem and the holy cities by force. So they were kind of retaliating with force. But as time went along, it got pretty bloody and pretty nasty. In fact, between um, 1096 AD, uh, which was the launch of the first crusade, which had about 10,000 people go to the Holy Land to try to reclaim cities, to about 1271, there was nine different crusades. And it's estimated over four or five million people got slaughtered during that time. In fact, one of the, this is for the guys here right now, it is reported um, that the blood was so deep in some of the places, it was up to the ankles and knees of the crusaders as they went through the towns. So there, I know Ian's like, whoa, you know, beats any video game you played here recently, isn't it, right? So, um, what, 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 what was transpiring and, and really what you still see, still see being, the land being fought over even today in Palestine and Israel has everything to kind of go back to, to the Crusades. But really it goes back even farther than that. Do you all remember in the book of Genesis, the guy named Abraham and he was promised by God that he would have many descendants and they would be so many that you couldn't count them as the sand on the seashore or stars in the sky. You remember that's what God told him? Well, he, he was getting up in age. <laughs> and as much as him and his wife, Sarah, tried to have children, they couldn't have children, right? And so she said, hey, why don't you just take our maidservant and try to have children with her? And her name was Hagar. And he did that. 
And out of that relationship, a baby is born named Ishmael. And that's not who God was going to use for his chosen um, uh, people because, again, Abraham took matters into his own hands. And, and so God said, but I'm still going to keep my promise to you. And he allowed Sarah at the age of 90 to conceive and have a son named Isaac. And Isaac was going to be through who the Jewish race was going to come through. And guess where the Muslim race traces their roots all the way back to? Ishmael. So this has been going on for almost 5,000 years, the conflict between these people. I, I just give you a little, um, some numbers here that kind of blew my mind when I was doing research on this. Let me remind you, Islam, along with all the other world religions, is in opposition to Christianity. Now, so many people that teach our young people this in our school systems, they'll say, well, you know, Islam and Christianity and Judaism, well, they're all just one big religion. They just have different ways to believe. Friends, that's not the case at all. But let me tell you how fast Islam is growing worldwide. Don't miss this. Islam comprises over 24% of the world's population right now. That's 1.8 billion people, and it's growing. The number of Muslims worldwide increased from 200 million in 1900 to 551 million in 1970, and tripled to 1.6 billion in 2010. They are having a birth rate or a multiplication rate seven to one, I think it's actually 7.2 Muslims converting to Islam as we are raising Christians. That's how fast and exponential the growth is right now between these two major world religions. And so again, that's a little bit of history. You saw the guy, what he looked like. Um, but some people during this days when there's, and it was kind of crazy. Oh yeah, I want to tell you this too. You could actually pay for someone to go fight for you. So, you know, if we were choosing a warrior here, I'm just looking through the crowd. Yeah, it's going to be Brit. I mean, if we were going to select one from our congregation to go, it's got to be Brit, right? I mean, honestly, I think Candy would probably take out more people than Brit. I mean, I'm just if we're gonna be honest about this, but, but you could pay someone to go. You, every Christian was supposed to go on a crusade. And what you could do is step in and, and say, well, you know, that's really not my cup of tea. So for, you know, roughly $10,000, you go fight in my place. And so that's where we get this term. And even today in the military terms, a term of mercenary. Uh, this was kind of founded in the roots during this time. But as people were watching this and seeing all these people get, slaughtered and seen all this fighting, some people started looking at the scripture and said, wait a second, is this correct? So when you, they started looking at passages like this in Matthew 10, verse 32 through 39, and listen what Jesus says here. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me here before others, I will disown them before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth, but I, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And remember, these crusaders were wearing crosses on their shields and their swords and their armor to fight by putting the cross in their tunic. 
And it says this in verse 39, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So they use this passage of scripture to justify and say, hey, I didn't, Jesus didn't come to bring peace. He brought a sword. And so now this justifies why we go out and do this. But many others jumped in for the fight for other reasons. When Pope Urban II and his successful popes and the church leaders put out an appeal for crusaders, they made the people a promise. And here's the promise. If you go and compete and, and, and go to a crusade, all your sins will be forgiven. They give absolution for all sins. Now, I want you to think about that. Remember the people who couldn't fight or didn't want to fight? They could still pay the church $10,000 roughly for someone to go fight in their place and then their sins would be completely forgiven, not only to that point, but all the rest of their life. Now, I know that sounds ludicrous to us when we think about it, but if you haven't figured it out, this is a false gospel. And who prospered greatly from the Crusades, the church. Because they were making money hand over fist by sending people to go to the Crusades. And sometimes, well, when they couldn't find someone uh, to go and fight for them in their $10,000 place, do you think they refunded the money? <laughs> no, it just kind of stayed in the church. And you gotta understand something. This day in, in part of history, the people were very illiterate. They couldn't read the scriptures for themselves. So basically, whatever their preachers or their popes or their teachers were telling them, they believed. And so think about this. Signing up for the Crusades is like today going into a mission trip. Or if you think that serving in the nursery or taking care of the church property or putting money in the offering plate, none of those can promise you forgiveness of your sins. So if you're doing those for the reason to say, well, God's gonna kind of look more favorably on me or he'll forgive me of my sins, we don't earn our salvation. We know that's not the case. That would be like me going to you all and say, listen, you all wanna have eternal life? You all wanna make sure that you could live forever and never have to worry about your sin problem? Then send the Jordan kids to college, all right? Now that sounds ludicrous, but if you couldn't read the scriptures for yourself, and you believe that because I have a degree or I'm, I'm a minister of the gospel, that whatever I say goes. You know, and here's the thing. Think about this. Many popes throughout this time period were more powerful and wealthier than the political leaders. So that would be like me saying, you want to send my kids to college and you, you get a free ticket to heaven. I, you know that can't happen, right? You know that I can't promise you eternal life. But if you want to go ahead and send my kids to college, I mean, that's, that's up to you all if you want to do that. I would greatly appreciate it. But see, this is what's going on. And now, how does this affect the, the way these teenagers are living in school? Well, here's how it affects it. Just like this. When you're a Christian walking in the halls of a high school or a middle school, and, and people know that you're a Christian, number one, they're going to try to get you to do something to mess your faith up, Right? They're going to try to get you to stumble. Or number two, they're going to make fun of your faith, right? Am I close to this? And so what they want to do is force their belief system on you. And they want to argue points in the scripture with you and say, well, if you're not really a Christian, if you do that, if you saw that video or that TikTok or you saw that or you looked at that, you don't love Jesus. And they try to get you trapped and try to force their beliefs on you. Well, listen, we can't force our beliefs on anyone. And so what we see here, in fact, look at what James 3, 1 says. You know, there is a certain responsibility that comes from teaching the word of God. 
And it tells those who are going to teach the word of God, it says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now listen, I do my best to study the scriptures and not lead people in the wrong direction intentionally. I can think of a few times um, when I'm preaching or teaching, I've taught about Jesus that I've, that I've made a mistake. And it was an honest mistake. I didn't do it intentionally, but I made a mistake and I've had someone love me enough to say, hey, you know, this is something you said while you're teaching or preaching. Is that really how it lines up with scripture? And then I realized, oh my, it isn't. And, and I feel terrible about that. But listen, you need to be careful who you're listening to when they're talking to you about Jesus. Because not everything that they are saying and teaching about Jesus, just because they have a minister by the end of their name or preacher or pastor or whatever, doesn't mean that it's accurate to what the scripture says. And that's why we have to take it very cautiously, even when you're just a Christ follower and maybe not preaching and teaching because every day that you're walking with Jesus, you are preaching a sermon. You realize that? You're preaching a sermon that you live for the risen Lord. And so you gotta be cautious of what you're telling folks. You gotta be careful. So, but back to the Crusades, for the course of over two centuries, the Crusades considered of many battles and a lot of bloodshed and thousands and thousands, if not millions of people were dead, Muslims, Jews, and Christians. There was a, the People's Crusade, the Prince's Crusade, and even the Children's Crusade. But unfortunately, it didn't involve with the children. And after all these crusades that happened, and they would go into these towns and, and, and these people who believed in a different God than them, and they'd say, you either are gonna accept Jesus or we're gonna cut your head off. And you say, well, how can Christians do that? Well, listen, you know those same people I was talking to you about before? That the crusades are a black eye on Christianity. They are. And the Christian faith has been attacked by atheists and skeptics and people of other religions. And but how do we respond to those people who attack our faith and say, well, if God was really real, how for over those 200 years could you justify that? Well, listen, are we living in a world today that people judge us by things that almost happened over a thousand years ago? <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. I'm not getting in the political realm right now, but if you're not African-American, <laughs> you're getting blamed for slavery that happened 200 years ago. Am I correct on that? Not all the community of the African-American community, but there are some who say, well, that's your fault, slavery 200 years ago. I'm a Christ follower. I'm not responsible for what the guys did when they were living almost 900 years ago. No more am I responsible for what took place 200 years ago in, in our country. So here's a question I wanna ask you. When people are throwing their crusades into the face of Christianity and leaders today and say, well, if you're God and you're so loving, then how do you explain the crusades? Listen, I'm not gonna be accountable for something that people did 900 years ago. And then let me ask you this question. Do you wanna be held accountable for every action on everyone who claims the name of Jesus? I mean, trying to blame a Christian, trying to blame Christianity for the crusades is like blaming all Muslims for terrorism. You see what I'm saying? You, you can't look at it that way. You can't look at situations this way. So what are our lessons that we have learned? But the Crusades were bloody in many ways. They were immoral and they were unethical. So why does Christian activism today or crusading, what's it look like in our culture? If you're not familiar with this, just get on social media. 
Because all over social media, it basically, how many of you all have seen the picture of Jesus? And it's Jesus, and it says, if you don't share, then you are what? If you don't share the picture of Jesus, then, huh? You're ashamed, you're disobeying the Lord, right? And, and, you know, and, and, and it goes even farther that if you don't share that picture of Jesus, then you're a follower of Satan, right? I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but that's where people are trying to win this war. And so I believe people are trying to crusade Christians today. We need to arm up and raise ourselves up. Well, what should a, a legitimate Christ follower be crusading for in our culture? Well, then, first thing, let me tell you, and, and it's pretty... Simple, you all probably should know this. Know his word. If you're a Christ follower today, I believe God is calling us to know his word, don't you? I mean, because again, how do you know what I'm telling you is true? If you just buy everything I told you, and then I could absolve all your sins by sending the Jordan kids to college. No, that, that's not in the Bible. So how do you know what I'm saying and what I'm preaching and teaching? How do you know you're going to a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church? Number one, it's your responsibility and my responsibility because we are not living in the dark ages when the people couldn't read and they were illiterate. We can read. We can read the Bible for ourselves. And many people joined their crusades because they were misled. And we stop right there. Many people who just said, okay, I'll go down the... Jerusalem for a year and do this crusade, they were misled. But how many Christians today are being misled? They're being misled in all kinds of different directions by not only the teachers, but some of the ideas and some of the culture is what it's telling us. And in fact, you cannot simply rely on someone else to teach you God's word. You have to read it. You have to study it. You have to memorize it. You have to teach it and your children to others. You know, it's one of the things I enjoy about Scotty and his ministry to our teens. Because I know that there's Bible verses being sent out to our teens. Scotty sends them out to him and says, hey guys, I want you to look at this today. And if you all aren't followers of Scotty on his Facebook page, almost every single day, Scotty puts out a devotion on his, on his Facebook page. He's teaching the, the people to study the word of God for themselves. And in fact, this is what I love about what the, what the word says about Christians. Look at this in Acts 17, 11. We're talking about the Bereans. It says, the Berean Jews... Now, this is the early form of Christianity. Now, you gotta realize in the book of Acts is Acts of the Apostles. It was the early uh, birthplaces of, of Christian faith. And in fact, Christianity early on was shown as uh, just uh, another form of Judaism. But listen to what it says about the Berean Jews. It says, now the Berean Jews were far more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness. And how did they receive the message? They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. How many of you all have ever been a part of a church and then one of the adult Sunday school classes was called the Bereans? Anybody ever have? Anybody call that? Okay, I'm dating myself now. I remember, you remember going to churches where they had the old wooden signs and they put on their attendance today, attendance last week? Do you all remember? Well, that's, that's kind of how I remember those churches. And one of the, I grew up, when I went to church in one of those churches, and, and, and they had a place like that, and one of the adult Sunday school classes was called the Bereans. And I think that's a cool name because, listen, it was saying that not only did they listen to what Paul said, but what would they go back and do? They would go back and read the scriptures to examine and see if what Paul was saying was true. I think that's valuable, and I think it's great. So number one, you've got to know the word of God. 
The psalmist said it this way, the best way I can think of. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? How do you know you're doing what's right? Live according to your word. Young people, how do you live a life that honors God? By living according to God's word. But how can you live according to his word if you don't know what it says? The psalmist continues and he says this in verse 10. I seek you with all my heart. You do not stray from your commands. I have hidden in your word in my heart. What that means, I've studied it. I put it in memory. Why? Why did David say this? That I might not sin against you. That's why Scotty gives you Bible verses, teens. He's wanting you to know scripture so that you can hide it in your heart. So when you're tempted by your friends at school, when you're being tried and persecuted and you wanna lash out, you'll know what to say, you'll know what to do, and you'll know what to respond. In fact, one of the cool things, I wanna brag on our church uh, a little bit here, and and, uh, I can do that because, well, number one, I'm allowed. And number two, it's just awesome of, of what God is doing in our church. Uh, the bags, what the bags are in, we got the bags to put the bags, our, our uh, blessing bags that we're gonna be able to give out to those who are on the side of the road. Uh, the bags are here. So next week, teens, you'll make sure you'll get some time together. And one of the things you'll do with Scotty is put your bags together. But somebody uh, said, hey, how many of these bags are you gonna put together? And I said, I have to have like 10 women's and 10 men's bags. And someone sent me a text and said, I'd like to go and get a Bible and put it in each one of those bags. Isn't that awesome? And I thought about this passage of scriptures because I'm going to share a little something with you. You all know I didn't grow up in a, as a preacher's kid, an elder's kid, deacon's kid. My parents divorced when I was six, and my dad never really followed God. And I remember having that conversation with him and said, Dad, I'm getting ready to leave the pre-medical field. I was going to be an anesthesiologist. And I said, I'm going to go to, go to Bible college and I'm going to become a minister. And I remember the look on his face like, what? <laughs> what would you do with that? And how do you, I remember this was the first question. Well, how do you get paid? <laughs> you know, well, how do you make a living on that? And I said, I said, dad, I, I said, I, I don't know. But I, I said, I know that God's going to take care of all those things. And then I remember him saying, well, that's just a bunch of foolish old stories that no one really believes anymore. And that was my father telling me that at 22 years old. And I said, well, dad, that's your opinion. And I'm sorry that, that that's how you feel about it. But I said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And I believe he wants me to do something to tell others about him. And he, he didn't really say much more. And he said, well, I just think it's nonsense, but it's your life. If you want to screw it up, you go screw it up. That was the exact conversation. And I said, okay. And so I went to Bible college and I came out and I was ordained and he came to my ordination ceremony and he thought that was like witchcraft. He had no idea what they were doing to me when they ordained me in ministry. And, and, and he said, I don't know about all this. And he said, but you seem like you're happy and there's some good people around you, so I'm happy for you. Well, then about a year or so went past and there's a, there's a connection to this Bible story. And for Christmas one year, I decided I was gonna buy my dad a Bible. And I, I didn't want to put a sermon on it, didn't want to put any messages on it. I just wanted to buy him a Bible. I felt like that's what God wanted me to do. And I remember him opening that day, and he's like, every year for the last four years, you buy me a carton of cigarettes, and this year you buy me a Bible. <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, yeah, we changed it up a little bit this year, Dad. Well, what am I going to do with this? I said, I don't know, Dad, but maybe one day you might want to just take a look at it and see what's in there. And then maybe you'll understand why I do what I do. All right, whatever. Well, Merry Christmas. I said, Merry Christmas to you too. And uh, 
About three years later, I don't know what was going on with my dad, but he started getting ill. And uh, the girlfriend that he had at that time had left him, so he was kind of by himself. And one night I called up, and I knew he was not feeling well. And one night I called, and my mom answered the phone. I'm like, wait a second, I called my dad. Why is my mom at my dad's apartment? And dad had got to the point that he couldn't really get around and get out much. Uh, My parents never got remarried, but my mom, three times a week, would stop by on her way home from work and take him supper. And she was just there that night taking him supper. And she said, hey, I wanted you to know, your dad had a Bible uh, on his kitchen table. I said, really? And she goes, do you know where you got that from? I said, yeah, I bought it for him like three years ago. I said, what, do you have like a lamp sitting on it? Or was the table like uneven that he needed to stick something? And she goes, no, it was like open. It was about two months later, my dad passed away. I don't know what happened. I don't know what dad was looking for. But I'm praying that he found something in the word of God. That's all I can leave you. And so I, I think the person who was thoughtful enough to say, when we put these blessing bags together, I'm gonna stick a Bible in there. You know, that's what God tells us. He tells us to know his word. Young people, it's important to know God's word, okay? All right, secondly, this morning, God is also calling us to inform the conscience of our community. Do you realize that? Not only are we called to know his word, but we are to inform the conscience of our community. Our role as Christians, specifically as the church, as a local church in the community, is to know God's word so that we can fully inform the conscience of those around us. What this means is that we speak up for Christian values. When community leaders come to important decisions about their community, we need to be engaged so they think and, and they stand for what God stands for in his word. Remember this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12? This is an awesome passage. It says this, make it your ambition to live a quiet life. You should mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Did you catch that? We are to live a life with shaping the conscience of our community. That means we win the respect of outsiders. If you have someone who's not a Christ follower around you, a neighbor, a family member, maybe a friend, maybe somebody that you're sitting in class with in your math class whenever you get to do that again, (laughs) Uh, um, you're you're to win their respect. I, I promise you this, young people. I get it, I get the, the pressure that you're under and people making fun of you. But when, when their life goes to pot and things start turning bad and they're gonna go and talk to somebody and they need somebody, do you think they're gonna talk to the other fool that's just as foolish as them or are they gonna come talk to the one who seems to have answers? That's why it's so important not only to know the word of God, but you are, you are informing the conscience of the community. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to go and preach every single day when you go to class. But when someone speaks speaks up and when someone's trying to say something that's exactly contrary to the scripture, that's where if you know God's word and say, hey, wait a second, it's not okay to take the life of someone. Why? Because God says, thou shalt not murder. In fact, the apostle Paul used the term fight in this terminology. Listen to how he says it in 2 Corinthians. This is an important one, teens. He says, for though we live in the world, 
We we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On contrary, the divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we don't wage the world as the, we don't wage war as the world does. We, we don't fight with swords or spears or guns to make our point. Our weapon is the word of God. And when the word of God and, and the conscience of the community come in contrast, it's our job to say, wait a second, this is not what God has to say. And finally, this is important. And this is, this is why I wanted the teens in here. So if you all have checked me out for the last couple minutes, listen to this. The third thing, what activism should look like, we should love without judgment. We should love without judgment. And teens, let me tell you what this looks like. I can tell you that when Scotty and myself, Heather and Jason, I'm trying to put all of us in this age group. You guys are probably in that age group too. Can we just be honest just for a second? When we went to school, how many of these people saw couples of the same sex holding hands and kissing on each other in school? Did you see it? Did you see it? I didn't see it. How many of our teens see that all the time? You can go ahead and raise your hands, guys, because guess what? I sub in the school, so you can go ahead and raise your hand. Do you see people of the same sex holding hands, walking down the hall, kissing on each other? Yes, you do. <laughs> it's okay. If you don't want to raise your hand, that's fine. I'm not saying that you do it. I'm saying, do you see it? <laughs> Let's be clear on that, all right? Yeah, it's a different culture that you're living in, okay? But listen, we are to love God's people, and everybody, every person is God's people, whether they realize it or not. There's someone that God has created. We are to love without judgment. Now, what's this mean? Now, the word judgment has got all twisted in our culture today. Calling something wrong or sinful is considered to be judgy, right? Oh, you're one of them Christians. Quit judging everybody. But scripture reminds us that we are not to judge the unbelievers. What? What does, first, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 5, 12? Look at this verse. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? This is Paul talking. Are you not to judge those inside? You know what he's saying? We need to take care of ourselves when it comes to the word of God, all right? So when it comes to us, and if we see one of our friends that are doing stuff that shouldn't be right, yeah, you should lovingly say, hey man, you shouldn't do that. And I guess, don't get me wrong, teens, This is when it's really hard in your life because you're trying to make decisions for yourself right now, right? You want to show everybody that you're a big man or you're a grown-up lady. Listen, this is when you need your friends. And this is why I love our teen ministry here at the church. There's a great group of teens here. And they they can help each other. And they are, as the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need each other. Adults, we need this. We need to be modeling this. But we are to hold our our accountable, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But why would we expect those outside the church to act like Christians? Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Listen to this, teens. He reminds us there is a coming judgment, and Christ is the judge of all mankind. He says this, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what was due for us and the things that we've done while in the body, whether good or bad. One of the biggest issues with the Crusades is that these so-called Christians 
are bringing judgment on other people. In fact, you all are familiar with the church, and I think it's out in Kansas, that used the death of military soldiers as a platform to preach against homosexuality. Those two had nothing to do with each other. And I think that makes Jesus really sad, to be honest with you. Because they were using something that had nothing to do with what the issue was. They were deciding who lives and they were deciding who dies. They were trying to force people during the crusades into Christianity. And if they didn't, they would put them to death. Now, as Christians, we don't want to see more and more, we want to see more and more people to come to Christ. But threatening with violence and berating people is not the way to do it. Love is. If you don't change your ways, you're going to go to hell. How many people were saved that way? <laughs> Love is the way. And this is such a great test in our time, isn't it? How do we treat people we disagree with? It seems the answer for most people is to shout, to post mean things on social media, or to belittle people. Do we judge them or do we love them? Do we convict or execute them or persuade them to repentance? The answer is, and as a Christian, we love people. We don't have to agree with everything to love them and treat them with compassion. Listen to this. If you agree with these, these should be amens out loud. Love does not mean approval. Amen? Love does not mean agreement. Yeah? And love does not mean we compromise. Amen? So what does it mean? Love means we care enough to share the truth. We even prayerfully try to persuade people. And in the end, if they will not be convinced, love means letting them walk away. It means letting them remain in sin. But it never means we stop praying for them or looking for opportunities to share with them the truth of Jesus Christ. And this is what I'll leave you with today. I want you to love people enough to share the love that you have experienced with the love of Jesus. And because of this, we know that we have forgiveness of sins, not because the preacher told you to, and not because you tried to earn it, not because you gave $10,000 or somebody to go fight a war for you, but because you are engaged in the war every single day. That's why it's important for you to know the word of God. If you don't know the word of God, how do you know what's right and wrong? Number two, you gotta remember, it's not just knowing the word of God, it's that you gotta inform the conscience of our community. When others look around you, they should say, man, that's somebody that's respectable. That's someone's trying to do the right thing. Man, that's, look at her. She's, she's living for God. That's one of God's girls. And then finally, we need to love them and not judge. Because I want you to remember this. When Jesus was hanging on the tree, did he judge you or did he love you? You know what the Bible says? The difference between love and judgment are? The Bible doesn't ever say this about judgment, but it says this about the word love. Love covers a multitude of sins. I, I had this experience, and I'll wrap this up. I was preaching at a church in Indiana, and we had about 500 people went to the church. 
we were in two different um, services, and we were living in a town of 13,000 people. I want to tell you something about it's a little bit different about West Virginia and Indiana. In that town of 13,000 people in the county of 29,000 people of Davies County, that county had 29,000 people plus or minus 500 people for over 100 years. <laughs> Farmers, all right? But you know what was another great little thing about that town? Had a high school basketball gym that set 7,500 people and it sold out every home game. So you know what the community came to do? Not only did they come to worship in their different churches, but when it was hatchet basketball season, the whole community was there. I was at one of those hatchet games and I never know this person who said, hey, are you the preacher at that New Hope Church? I said, yep, I am. Do you know so-and-so? I said, yeah, they go to our church. Do you know that they're cheating on their wife? This is at the basketball game. This was at the basketball game. And you know what? So-and-so and their wife was sitting at the basketball game. And I could look right over and see him. I said, how do you know they're cheating? He's cheating on his wife. Because he's cheating with mine. Well, I, <laughs> I'm just like you. What do you do with that? I was like, can I get you a hot dog? Or <laughs> we're standing at the concession line, you know? I mean, he was not being quiet about this. And this is somebody who's inside the church. And I said, man, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry for the pain you must be going through. I can't even begin to describe your anger, your frustration, your betrayal, all the stuff that you're feeling. I, I, I don't know what to do with that. But I said, I will tell you this, I love the Lord and I love God's people that I will go and have a conversation with some people. He said, yeah, I bet you will. I said, no, I will. And I did. I went and told the elders what was going on. I said, I need a couple of you to go with me on this one. And they said, yeah, I was at the basketball game too. <laughs> Everybody went to the ball game. And we went and talked. And we shared the word of God. And we said, do you know it's not just because we think this is wrong, but God says this is wrong. Yeah, I do. And I'm telling you, after a year and a half of counseling, I'm here to tell you that both of those couples remain married to their spouses. Because they were Christians. I didn't go in there trying to judge God's people. I just came in there trying to love each other and say, what is going on and how can, we, how can we help? You tell me how I can help you. And I think that's what the world needs today is not people to sit there and point fingers at them and tell them how wrong they are and how quickly they're going to hell and they're gonna burn at the, 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 at the highest degree. They need people to say, how can I help you out of this? Because you know why I think that's important, young people? Because I had someone who loved me enough when I was a teenager do that for me. He's my best friend, Barry Roach. And he was there and he helped lead me to Christ. And he led me into a new life and a new way of thinking, a new way of living. Don't 
give up on people. Don't discard people that God sent his son to die for. Let's pray. Father, I come to you and, and, I, and I think about your word. And I do my best to try to know it. Not to be able to answer questions and sword drills and all that other stuff and to be more knowledgeable because Paul would say knowledge puffs up but love builds up. And God, I thank you for your word because it's your word that is unfiltered and it comes straight through you through the power of your Holy Spirit that leads us to a relationship with Jesus. And I'm thankful that there are people who love others enough to share your word with them. And God, I know that there's those that are outside your word that just think that the church is just there to judge and to condemn. But Lord, even if we go back to the verse that everybody knows, John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And everybody knows that verse, but John 3, 17 is just as important because it tells us why you sent Jesus. It says, for you, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And God, I can't, I can't change what happened during the Crusades. When Christians tried to force you on the people. And so, Lord, as we are in a crusade to win this world back to you, I pray that the weapons we use are your word and your love. Because we're not going to guilt anyone out of hell, we're not going to scare them into heaven. What we're going to have to do is be able to explain your word in a way that impacts them, that they will want to open up your word and read it for themselves and find not just the historical Christ, but the living Jesus in your word. So, Father, I pray that you bless our decision time, those who are online with us this morning. I pray that they'll have a renewed sense of commitment to your word, commitment to our community, and a commitment of how we respond to those who don't believe what we believe. Let us love as Jesus loved. This is my prayer in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand.